You're listening to Grow, Cook, Inspire. I'm Helen Cross and this is a podcast which puts gardening, cooking and farming at its heart. Supported by Caledonian Horticulture. Welcome back everyone, a little later to be expected, but sometimes life just gets in the way. Anyway, we are back and we have made it into March, despite the storms, the torrential rains and not to mention the snow. But the good news is now that we're in March, we are enjoying an extra couple of hours of daylight. So that is something to hold on to and enjoy. Plus today, as I record, we have got blue skies. So I am really, really holding on to the small things. It's all a win-win. And because the sun's been shining, I have been throwing caution to the wind and I have been sowing with gusto because we all need a little bit of hope at the moment. I'm sure you'll agree. So let's crack on with today's show. Grab a cup of tea. It coincides with International Women's Day, which is quite fitting as today's guest is the fun and creative Joanna McGregor, one half of the dynamic duo behind Farm Ness, who you may recognise from the BBC hit show, This Farming Life. We chat about Joanna's move from the classroom to the farm working full-time plus her farm shop endeavours and much much more. But before all of that here are my top tips of things to do in and around the garden this week. I have been itching to get sowing and growing for the last few weeks but up here in Scotland it has been particularly cold and we've not really seen much in the way of blue skies up until perhaps this weekend and today. So I really, as I said in the intro, I have thrown gusto to the wind or caution to the wind, I should say, and I have started sowing. So if like me, you are looking to get growing and sowing, then I can highly recommend starting with tomatoes on your windowsill because up to about now I've only got sweet peas growing on my windowsill. So in terms of varieties I am growing Moneymaker and Tumbling Tom which is a great one if you are growing in containers or if you're growing in hanging baskets and I'm also growing one of my favourites which is called Gardener's Delight. If you also have room on your windowsill and the sun's shining, then why not try growing some chilies and also some aubergines? And if you're lucky enough to have a heated propagator, then this will speed things along nicely. But you don't need that. You, you can use tin cans, yogurt tubs, toilet roll tubes, anything goes. And to be honest, if you're recycling, then that's a great way to be a little bit greener while you grow. And also because I am a sweet pea lover, I have sown a few more sweet pea varieties. Um, One is called Blue Velvet, which is a really lovely, rich purple colour. And also because I love to clash colours, I'm also growing one called Summer Fever, which is bright orange. And while I'm on the subject of cut flowers, then why not have a think about some of the flowers that you're wanting to grow if you're looking to cut your own flowers and provide flowers for your own vases this year. Think sunflowers, verbena, cosmos, helenium, rebecca. These are all really great cut flowers and are also really good for pollinators as well. 
And before I forget, because we're still at the start of March, this is your last, last gasp to plant bare root roses. So why not, if you've got space, get another one planted into the ground? And also, because we're coming into springtime, then now is a really great time to mulch, mulch and mulch a little bit more. This basically invigorates your soil, keeps the weeds at bay before the growing season really gets going. And it also helps to retain moisture, which means you'll not have to water quite so much when the weather heats up. So, if you have space, then why not try and make your own compost? I know I bang on this, but bang on about this quite a bit, but it's a really great way to save money and also be a little bit kinder to the planet. So with this in mind, if you are looking to make your own compost, then I can really recommend a really super book that's been published by the National Trust and it's called basically Perfect compost, save money, save the planet. And it's by Simon Ackroyd. And I'll put all the details in today's show notes. But it's a really, really useful and simple guide that spells out everything you need to know and demystifies the art of compost. Now, each year I ponder whether or not to grow purple sprouting broccoli. I know it's a complete first world problem, but it does take up quite a lot of space. But anyway, each year I do decide to sow some and I'm so glad I do because at this time of year, there's not much going on in the garden. So it really does provide a bit of a pop of colour and interest and structure. Not to mention, because we're in this period of the hunger gap, then it's also really, really tasty. It tastes great in quiches, in pasta or a frittata. But I love it really, really simply roasted with chilli and honey and olive oil and a sprinkling of pumpkin seeds. And it's really, really nice served on top of good quality bread and tastes really, really delicious. So if you haven't grown your own, then it's in season at the moment. So make sure you add some to your shopping basket. Now, out with our own gardens, I am really, really excited to hear about Dandelion Scotland, who have revealed that they will be revealing 12 unexpected gardens across the whole of Scotland, from the Western Islands right down to Stranraer. This is all part of Unbox 2022, and they're basically going to be breathing new life into areas of land that aren't used at the moment. So think waterfronts, car parks, and even canal barges. Each one is going to be transformed into an edible garden. And later on in the series, I'll be sharing more on each of these gardens and delving a little bit deeper into what some of the gardens are all about and the stories behind them. It's a really, really exciting project and I can't wait to see it flourish, excuse the pun. Now it's time for today's guest. Along with a whole host of other inspirational women that are on this year's BBC's show, This Farming Life, including the shepherdess Emma Gray and also Kayleigh Love from Aird Farm in Stranraer, Joanna McGregor is also one of the stars of the show and she has already 
pulled up her sleeves and shown that she is capable of quite a lot, given that only a few months ago she was working as a geography teacher. So I caught up with Joanna a few weeks ago and um, I really hope you enjoy our chat as much as I enjoyed chatting to Joanna. It's a good one. Yay. Busy, nice day, so, yeah. busy weekend? Um, yeah, we actually, we had one of our busiest weekends we've ever had in the farm shop. So that was good. It's like more word of mouth has been getting out around the area and lots of people coming. So that's quite exciting. Oh, that's good. See all the hard work. It just takes a bit of a bit of time and momentum. And uh, that's that's really good to hear. So, Joanna, for those who don't know you, you and your partner, Donald, are the powerhouse behind Farm Ness. And you have appeared on the first half of Series 5 BBC's This Farming Life, which is basically an insight into a number of different farmers across Scotland. And it's a sort of warts and all insight into what goes on behind the farm gates, I guess. Um, tell us a little bit how you came to appear on the show. So uh, last year, the year before, 2020, the year of the pandemic, um, I started going out and kind of observing Donald on his farm. You know, it was lockdown. You weren't allowed to go more than, was it five miles from the house? You were only allowed one walk a day. It was something like that. So um, I hadn't had much to do on the farm before, but now I was locked in my garden. I thought I'll venture out to the farm. So <laughs> I went out to the farm and started filming things that Donald was doing. And from there, we started thinking, why why don't we create a social media account about what's going on in his farm? And we came up with this name Farm Ness and we thought maybe we could get a farm shop as well. So we started the planning process for the farm shop, but we never got planning. So we thought by Christmas, why don't we do like a pop-up farm shop and events where families can come and go into our big, you know, kind of big industrial sheds. So it was all outside and they could socially distance, but they could have a coffee um, with farm shop produce so when um, we did that and bbc alba saw our social media and wanted to come and ask us about our social media and and um, diversifying during a pandemic so we did an interview with them on bbc alba and then off the back of that bbc alba suggested we apply for this farming life so uh, we just forwarded on the footage they'd sent us of the day they spent on our farm and from there we got onto the show i can't I mean believe it they just turned up and how long have they been how long have they been filming with you and um, so the last day they actually filmed was on friday just at the weekend okay um, so yeah it's still i guess being put together at the moment but that's been an entire year they started filming in march last year and that's them stopped filming in february this year so it's it's an entire year yeah amazing and what has been the response from the sort of public and friends and family about the the first half of the series that we've already seen it's actually, it's been really positive. Um, lots of people coming into the shop have been saying like, oh, I'm so exhausted just even watching the programme. So yeah, they've been really enjoying seeing that. A lot of local people as well are really enjoying seeing Inverness and the scenery and the farm that they've all driven past all the time is suddenly on the TV with the drone shots showing Loch Ness right behind us and Inverness right in front of us. So everybody's responded really well to that and um yeah just seeing the amount of work that goes into farming I think a lot of people are a lot more appreciative now because I moan all the time about how much Donald works and now they can see it. 
Yeah, my, my mother did tell me never to marry a farmer, so... Uh... She was probably very wise. <laughs> I think she was. Now, you touch on the fact that um, you obviously, you set up the, the social media account on Instagram to start off with. And um, there's so many farmers of a younger generation like yourself have, have done a similar thing over the last couple of years. And some have even got YouTube channels as well. So having a social media presence and also the fact that you have been on the television in such a successful series, which will go out on BBC Two as well. Do you think that has had an impact on people's understanding of what actually goes on in farm? In farming and agriculture because we get a lot of them um, I say we but I mean farms have had a really hard deal over the last few years with climate change and and veganism etc etc yeah I, I definitely think so I think during lockdown people could people kind of turn to the farmers like farmers were still key workers when everyone was at home kind of making their way through Netflix series or doing DIY in their house the farmers were just out constantly feeding the nations the ports shut People can you couldn't get food in, the supermarkets were emptying, and people were relying on the farmers. And I think that's where the whole farm shop thing really took off because farmers could put food out at the road end or in their shop or whatever, and people could access food, things like eggs that you can get in the supermarket now because it was hard to get the transport of produce up the roads. Like the, everyone turned to their local farmer, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So I think from there, people then like we're taking more interest in farms and maybe looking to social media farms a bit more and like it was all exciting and it was in the news and it was current and I think off the back of that now that there's been almost this like this like fight back from the farmers because for years it was just like so negative and it's hard for farmers to get their voice out there when they're just family people they're not huge big corporations it's just a family farm and there's lots of them making a patchwork over the UK they're not a big big voice so it kind of was this like um hi we're here this is us and this is what we're doing and it feels like um it's been so positive and people are starting to kind of tap in and listen to what the farmers are saying and like recently actually I was in the paint shop and the guy behind the counter you know was quite a young guy and he was saying that his dad and him are now obsessed with farming shows and they're so excited to come out to our farm shop because they're just like scouring the tv for farming shows now ever since the pandemic so that's quite good, I think. Yeah, there, there has been actually quite a few have come onto the screens over the last couple of years as well. You're up there with Jeremy Clarkston. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not quite. Um, yeah, we keep saying it's Diddly Squat Mark II, the Loch Ness version. Uh, no, I think I think you're right. And I think what people have forgotten is that farmers are, they're a necessity, especially in, in Scotland. I mean, we feed people. With, without without the farmers, there's not going to be food on the table, whether that's potato, beef, or or even the cereal that you're eating as well. And also, I think people forget that in Scotland, we have the highest standard of wet livestock welfare in the world. Um, and I think that needs to be broadcast way more widely because people have, they, they don't realise that. People in towns and cities who are in a bubble, and that's absolutely fine, that's not their fault. But how do you think we sort of, continue to build on the success that you've done over the last couple of years how do we get the momentum to keep going and building yeah I was just thinking that when I was saying to you about you know it's all current and it's in the media and people are talking about it I'm I'm not entirely sure but I think it's keeping the momentum up and having a bit of um, diversity and farms really trying to like 
show the public and invite them in, you know, more and more farms just keeping the public coming to their gates, because I do think that's like the public responded really, really well to that. And it wasn't ever, like you said, people's fault that they didn't know what was going on in farms. It just was, farmers aren't very good about shouting about what they're doing. So it just went under the radar and we started thinking our food came from Tesco's and no one really thought beyond how the food got to Tesco's. Like I hadn't really, um, mm. you know, about 10 years ago, didn't really, I know I was a geography teacher, but at the start of my career, I didn't think about it that much. And even though my parents grew all of our own food, I still never really thought about it or thought that other people maybe didn't know. You know, it's not, it's just not something really talked about, I don't think. So definitely keeping the momentum up somehow. And I think also the fact that you're quite, there's a lot of young families that are on the, on the show this year and last year. And what I've really enjoyed is actually the number of, of women that are sort of, that have got such a, a big role in each of the farms. You've got yourself um, and then you've got Kayleigh at um, the Aird Farm down in Stranraer in Dumfries and Galloway. And also Emma, the shepherdess on the Isle of Butte. And I think you're all fantastic role models, to be honest, for young women. Because uh, you're all pretty game and you're, you don't shy away from hard work. Do you think, how can we get more women into agriculture? Because it's been very much, for a very long time, it is very much a male-dominated sort of sphere. But I think you're shining the light on the fact that it's, it can be open up to anybody, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. One of one of the biggest driving factors for me wanting to do this farming life was I wanted to show that for years I'd been too intimidated to step onto the farm. Like it just seemed really intimidating, these huge big tractors rolling about. And, you know, they do shout a lot when they're trying to move sheep and things. And you're just like, oh, gosh, I don't want to get involved in that. But I thought there must be this whole cohort of women that have met a farmer, married a farmer or even driven past farms and been desperate to get in on it, but just not sure how to, because it's quite intimidating. So yeah, I think I was just showing that journey of here's someone that doesn't know what they're doing and you can just get involved and, you know, Google it and see what other things there are that are interesting on a farm and what would you want to do for, yeah, for me as well, I've got a daughter who's four and it got to the point I mean, I was she was maybe two when I started helping on the farm, but I thought I really don't want her feeling like I'm feeling that she's not got a place in the farm, that she can, you know, chevy sheep up a flank or whatever the flank because um, she's only two. She's a girl. Sorry, I'm waffling now. But um, yeah, I think I definitely would hate to think that there are women or girls that think they can't be involved because it's a male industry. I, I don't think that's fair at all. And I think it's something that's maybe accidentally happened just because traditionally men always worked in farms that some women are just a bit intimidated to get involved. Oh, totally. And it's very much, it was previously that if you had, if you only had daughters, then well, who do you hand the farm over to? And I'd like to think now that that has sort of been eradicated and actually it doesn't really matter whether you have sons or daughters. Um, it can be passed on to anybody. But I, I also guess the other issue of getting into farming for both young men and women is the access to land. Um, I think that is one of the major barriers because not everyone is fortunate enough to have their own farm or come from a farming background as well. Um, have you come across anybody who sort of made that transition with and how, how do you access land? 
Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure about that. That's kind of beyond my remit. But I do know that Donald has been working with a new entrant farmer, like in the local area. So he's been like um, coaching them through having a farm, even just things like fencing, because I guess when he's grown up in farming, mm-hmm. these are things he's never had to think about. So there needs to definitely be a support network for new entrant farmers. Um, I think there is one there already, but I'd imagine it could be a lot better. Yeah, totally, totally. But you said yourself, you you were a geography teacher and um, you obviously decided to give up geography teaching not that long ago. You grew up in a sort of, not a hobby farm, I find that's that's not the nicest thing, <laughs> but you, did, you grew up not completely detached from farming. But um, what what has your geography teaching brought to the farm? Because you know what, there's a lot of correlations between the two and I'm, I'm sure you have brought quite a different insight to farm nests. Oh yeah, definitely. When I started off in my career, you know, you get handed a syllabus, the curriculum, and as a geography teacher, you have to teach about farming. And um, like I've always been, my entire degree was about conservation, climate change, sustainability, um, when I started teaching, I also taught environmental science, but the geography teaching when it came to farming was basically like farmers create pollution and it washes into the rivers and cows create methane and that is causing climate change. And that is word for word on the syllabus about farming. So, you know, we do teach like this is a patchwork blanket of Britain and this is what they did. But now it's really bad because farmers are doing this to the environment. And so when I met Donald, he was appalled at my lessons I was showing him what I was doing and what I was teaching and he was like that is not British farming at all like that's a tiny little snapshot and that's actually massively incorrect and quite damaging actually that I mean that's just me speaking for myself as a teacher what I was teaching about farming so I don't know if other people were ripping up the syllabus but I don't think they probably were because it's a guide to teaching your lessons Mm -hmm. and you know that people are going to get marks in the exam for saying cows cause climate change so um, yeah no that's what's being that was what was being put out there so I totally overhauled my lessons and at some point you know you start you get nervous saying like what the good things farming is doing for the environment and how cows are good for the soil and you do get worried that you're the only teacher out there saying it I, I don't know if I was but um what yeah. did you get when you started doing that in schools from pupils and other and other colleagues um, my colleagues were really interested and took all the points on board, actually. And in a couple of schools I was in, they were like, over the farming unit and you write all the lessons. And so my colleagues were teaching my lessons on farming off the back of Donald. And like during the pandemic, we couldn't get the skills out to the farm. and um, But we have had the skill to the farm before that. Mm-hmm. But Donald made a video. So we spent the whole entire day and Donald basically made a video going around the farm, trying to make it fun, but telling the kids all about his farm and what really the truth is behind farming and to get them asking questions. And then we got kind of celebrity farmers, so to speak, to answer the kids' questions. Brilliant. So is that something you'd like to expand on now that you've sort of moved away from teaching in the classroom? Can you, are you planning on sort of bringing the classroom to farmness on a sort of more permanent basis? Oh, absolutely. That's probably the main driving factor behind me was I was getting bored of talking about it in the classroom and I was just so desperate to have the kids and their families to come to the farm and experience it for themselves rather than being told because it's almost quite patronizing being told all the time it's like we'll come here see it and experience it because 
really that's what happened with me. I met Donald and I started experiencing his farm and thinking, oh, this is actually what it's all about um, and not maybe the kind of ideas that were put out there before. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's, that sounds like you're in a really great and fortunate position to be able to do that. So as well as um, recreating the syllabus um, across <laughs> all schools, um, you've also managed to get some pygmy goats on a, um, into farm nests and a range of chickens and uh, ducks that I don't suppose were there before you came along or is that is that incorrect? No, that's all completely new. It's a bit <laughs> of a joke that I created a croft in the farm and it's like, yeah. oh, Joanna's croft. <laughs> And is that as a sort of to attract people to the when they're visiting the farm shop as well? Uh, the goats, I guess so. Um, but it never started out as that. And um, when I was growing up, I had like a menagerie of animals. So I just kind of wanted that back. I thought if I'm going to live on this farm, you've got all this land. I'm having these animals and that's what's happening. So yeah. off the back of that, it's kind of benefited the farm shop, I guess. And also they're a little bit more accessible to children, to be honest, than sheep and cows. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I think Donald's parents at first were like, what on earth? She's hatched these geese out. This is absolutely ridiculous. But then the kids were rounding the geese all the time. They got obsessed with rounding them up from corner to corner. And Donald's dad's like, oh, that's quite good. They'll be quite good at rounding the sheep up, actually, when they get older. Transferable skills. There you yeah. go. <laughs> that's brilliant. So obviously you brought the animals in, but tell me a little bit more about the farm shop. What is, um, this is fairly new. Um, how is this going to grow in the future? Because you're in a great location. You're right on the verge of Inverness. So um, you're going to get a lot of traffic, which is super. How can you see that growing in the future? Um, so at the moment, it's in a temporary building. So we definitely, we've got planning to build a proper building with a commercial kitchen. So from the food aspect, we see it as we'll be producing all of our own food and that will come from the farm, like the beef and the lamb. So selling like beef burgers out of the shop as well, but then growing our own food and the public having the chance to get involved in growing the food out in the field outside the farm shop too. And like pick your own potatoes and picking their own herbs for the farm shop. We want it to be very experiential, but also that at the end of it, you can leave with all the food that came off the ground you're standing on. Sure, and you're also, you're, are you working with local producers and suppliers as well? Because it's a, it's a rich area for food and drink. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the thing I'm most proud of at the moment is we have these lasagnas. So a local um, Italian restaurant made the pasta from scratch and then we've got our beef and then we've got Ian from Black Isle Pork's minced pork in the lasagna so every single thing in that little lasagna is from the area and I just oh, I find it mind-blowing I think it's so amazing. Oh yum you're gonna have to send me one can you deliver? <laughs> yeah they sold it on the first day you know we'd stocked up the freezer full of lasagnas and people were just running in and grabbing them all it was mad. <laughs> oh amazing and you have you ever worked in retail before? Uh, well, I did. When I was 18, I had a job in the local spa. <laughs> I don't know if that's helped or not. <laughs> Again, transferable skills. <laughs> yeah, you know that I was saying to Donald, you know, I always worked in hospitality. Uh -huh. And I keep like, he's like, oh, God, shut up. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I learned how to do this coffee when I worked in this pub. <laughs> Brilliant. What's it like working with Donald? Because obviously you live together, you work together. You must spend an awful lot of time together. How how do you make that work? Yeah, we do now. I'm not sure because actually I'm 
we always joke that I'm very airy fairy and I've got these amazing ideas and I can go off, he says, like my head in the clouds. So now he comes into the farm shop and starts barking orders as though he's my manager. So he'll be like, get this surface cleaned, get that fridge wiped. And now when we're in the house, he'll come in and say, get that dishwasher loaded. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> sounds so you're like- not my manager. Yeah. <laughs> That is very similar. I uh, Yeah, okay. But you obviously, you make it work and it's testament to you because it's difficult to work alongside your partner really differently. Yeah, no, I do think that Donald and I are kind of um, the yin and yang of each other and that it is very good that he has, he's the doer, he gets things done and he helps me to get things done. And whereas I give him kind of visionary ideas and push him in that direction. So together we're kind of pushing each other on. Yeah, and trying new things. And I guess if you don't try, you're never going to learn or be able to expand. Um, It's really important to make mistakes along the way. um, Because life is not plain sailing as well. What what do you see as the sort of next chapter for Farm Ness and what your your plans are? Um, Well, we definitely are really desperate to get a kind of outdoor area open to go with the shop. At the moment, we're selling very minimal food, like we sell our own soup. and to have an outdoor area where people could go and sit and drink their coffee or have their cake or have their soup and their kids could play and start off, you know, plowing the area for the vegetable patch so that people, you know, last year I've been showing Donald going out with the plow and plowing the field. It's like this is the next step is that actually you can come have your coffee and watch him plowing the field for vegetables that you're going to come back in September, October and pick yourselves. Amazing. Really exciting. And what can we expect to see on the second half of series five on this farming life? Oh, goodness. Well, I've not actually seen it. So I have no idea what they're going to show. You know, there's some things that don't make the cut, but um, it will be us trying to get this site ready and the port cabin in place and open the shop. And then we held a Christmas event as well with reindeer. Oh, yeah, there's that was. Yeah, it's the whole series kind of goes to a climax of Donald and I being absolutely stressed out of our heads. And the whole thing is actually a bit of a blank for me. I can't remember if we were fighting or not. I think we probably were. <laughs> so lots of fighting to be expected, probably. Out of mind, out of sight. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Who who else have you enjoyed watching on the show? Because I guess you don't know the other people. Or have you actually met? No, I've never met them. You know, I really, really loved watching it. Um, when it came out on TV, we were so busy, I didn't really get a chance to even watch ourselves. So over Christmas, I sat down with the kids and I think we were watching Emma Gray. And, you know, that's a really good story because they've taken on a farm and you're like, gosh, that just looks so stressful. And then I think it cut to the Sean, the Orkney farmer, and uh, he's just, he calls a spade a spade, doesn't he? So he's he quite funny as well. And then it cut to us and I thought, gosh, I completely forgot we were on this programme. I was just so enthralled in watching them. I entirely forgot we were on it. So they're definitely very captivating. Um, I hope we all get to to have a sort of reunion at some point (laughs) over the summer. Yeah, I think there should be a party. (laughs) Get it to coincide with the Highland show. There you go. (laughs) Oh, that's a great idea. Wow. (laughs) Yay. That would be fab. That would be fab. Well, listen, Joanna, before we round up, the question that I'm asking everybody on the podcast this series is, if you were to be banished to a desert island, which plant or seed would you take to grow and why? Oh, gosh. 
My only thought, I'll be honest, is a potato. And I know Donald would be absolutely disgusted at my lack of imagination saying a potato, but I just really love them. You know, chips, baked potato, mashed potato. Crisps. <laughs> yeah, crisps. <laughs> I mean, it, it really provides it all. It is a very humble but underrated ingredient. I couldn't agree with you more, to be honest, Joanna. <laughs> Well, listen, Joanna, you are a breath of fresh air and I've loved watching you on the show thus far. And I think you and Donald have got a really bright future ahead. So I wish you all the luck in the world and um, hopefully we'll get to meet you over the, the summertime. Oh, thank you very much, Helen. Lovely to chat to you. OK, take care. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye bye. Well done, Joanna. <laughs> well done. That's all we've got time for today, but a big thank you for tuning in and listening as always. A special thank you to Joanna. And please do remember to subscribe, share, like, and leave your reviews on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really does make a huge difference to the show. But before I round up, just a little reminder, as I'm sure you're all very excited because I certainly am, it is gonna be the highlight of my week for the next six months. But Monty Dawn returns to our screens this Friday night on the BBC as Gardener's World makes a return for 2022. So I'm sure that will be jam-packed with lots of great, growing tips for us all. So until next time, keep growing and sewing. Grow, Cook, Inspire is supported by Caledonian Horticulture, who specialise in a range of peat-free horticulture products at their composting sites in the southeast of Scotland. Sustainability is at the very heart of everything they do, diverting valuable resources from landfill and protecting our environment. For more information, visit caledonianhorticulture.co.uk.